بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so in the previous lesson we were looking at the second line from the poetry of our scribe to Sheikh Islam ibn Tim Rahimullah Allamiyah and so in that line uh, it is said isma'a kalama muhaqqiqin fi qawlihi la yanthani anhu wa la yatabaddalu and in this line the general meaning of it is that Ibn Tim Rahimullah is saying that you should listen listen to the speech of one who has verified and ascertained the truth in what he is saying so in that regard we looked at some issues we looked at uh, you know the type of hearing the summer what are the types of hearing there's a type of hearing where, where which a person actually listens with the heart and it reaches his heart and he understands and grasps and there's a type of hearing by which a person listens just purely with the ears and it doesn't reach the heart and these two types of hearing are mentioned in the Quran because there are many from those who disbelieve who hear they listen to the truth, they listen to the signs of Allah But it isn't a type of listening It is just Because the, the hearing is just a faculty it, it takes things to the heart It hears things and it takes them to the heart So we see there's a type of hearing where a person It just remains in the ears and it doesn't enter into the heart And so these two types of hearing Are mentioned in the, in the Quran And then we also looked at The issue of speech, kalam and qawl And so this led us to Just make a brief remark then on the second half of this line of poetry, which is when he says, "La yanthani anhu wa la yatabaddalo," "La yanthani anhu wa la yatabaddalo." So you should have, if you have the leaflets that were, that were given out. So the meaning of this is that Sheikh Islam says that the general meaning of it is that a person does not split away from it, and nor does he change. And replace that which he has. So these are two meanings which are comprised in this second half of this line of the poetry. La yanthani anhu, la yanthani anhu, which means it's like when you have a road and then the road splits into two. This is a meaning to make something into two. So a person doesn't diverge and go into a second path. La yanthani anhu, wala yatabaddalo. And yatabaddalo means he does not he does not change what he has. For something else to replace what he has with something else, and this follows on from the first half of the verse, because in the first half of the verse, Ibn Taymiyyah is saying that you should listen to the speech of the one who has verified the truth in what he is saying. So once you have the truth, once you know the truth, then there's no diverging, there's no changing, altering, replacing, and for that reason, we see from the companions of Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And in particular, Hudayfa bin al-Yaman, radiyallahu anhu, because Hudayfa, radiyallahu anhu, he was from those who knew the most about the tribulations, about the fitan, because the messenger, 
sallallahu alayhi wasallam informed him of many many things to do with the tribulations that would befall this ummah and so this sahabi this noble sahabi he said uh, in a narration in abd razak in his musannaf hudayfa said to someone ama ja'aka al-yaqeen that has not certainty come to you has certainty not come to you are you not certain in your heart of the truth and so the person who he was addressing said bala wa rabbi he said by my lord of course yes and then ibn hudayfa uh, bin al-yaman he said those famous words these are very famous words he said fa inna ad-dalala haqqa ad-dalala an ta'rif al-yawma ma kunta tunkir qabla al-yawm wa an tunkir al-yawma ma kunta ta'rif qabla al-yawm wa iyyaka wat-talawun fa inna dinallahi wahid so he said he said indeed true misguidance it is true misguidance it is that you should acknowledge today what you used to reject yesterday and that you reject today what you used to acknowledge yesterday and beware and beware of changing colors a talawun to change your color in the deen of allah for indeed the deen of allah is only one i mean the deen of allah and the truth therein is only one so there is no changing no altering so he's advising that beware and beware that you start changing colors in the deen of allah one day you're upon this and the next day you're upon this now one day you're upon this belief and the next day you're upon a belief that actually clashes and contradicts that belief right so this type of changing colors then this is something that the companions have indicated from them hudayfa bin al-yaman and likewise imam al-shafi'i rahimahullah he said that imam malik rahimahullah he said that when some of the people of desires came to him and wanted to argue with him he said he said as for me indeed i am upon clear proof inni ala bayyinatin that i am upon clarity in my religion and as for you you are someone who doubts you are a doubtful individual why because he's come to argue and so he said don't argue with me go to someone who is confused just like you and argue with him so this shows that our scholars and from who who took this from the companions that they understand that the deen of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once a person arrives at yaqeen certainty in his deen he never ever changes from it he doesn't split into a different path nor does he change what he has and so this is the meaning of the second half of the second line of this poetry la yanthani anhu wa la yatabaddalu so with this we now move on to the third line and here we see now that ibn taymiyyah rahimahullah is now now is entering into some of the specific issues of belief so the first four lines are kind of like an introduction and now he starts bringing some of the issues which represent and comprise the belief of ahlus sunnah wal jamaa of the sahaba radiyallahu anhum and so the first of these lines is that he says hubbus sahaba hubbus sahabati kullihim li madhhabun wa mawaddatul qurba biha atawassalu the rough meaning of which is that loving the companions having love of the companions all of them 
is a school of doctrine for me. It is a school, it is a madhab, it is a way that I take. وَمَوَدَّةُ الْقُرْبَى And loving the nearest ones. The nearest ones meaning the Ahlul Bayt. The Ahlul Bayt. That loving them is a means or is a way by which I seek nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning I make tawassal by way of loving the Ahlul Bayt, the Qurba. And I make this as a means of tawassal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the general meaning of this, this particular verse, the third verse in this line of poetry. So inshallah ta'ala, this, we will remain upon this for maybe a couple of lessons. And so we'll begin first and, first and foremost by speaking of, first and foremost we see hub, which is love, the word love. And there are some words here which are taken from some of the dictionaries like Tajul Urus and other than them, all of which explain the actual, what is the meaning of this hub that is mentioned. And so the best we can do is really give some meanings in the English language, some of the words which are equivalent. So when we speak of love, then it is naqidul bughd. Naqidul bughd. It is the opposite of hate. So everything which comprises hate, hatred, then love is something that comprises the opposites of all of that. So we have things like, for example, love, affection, and endearment, tenderness. Right? So these are some of the types of feelings that represent the feeling of love, the hub which is in a person's heart. And so everything which is hatred, then love is its, its opposite. So these, in other words, these feelings, love, tenderness, affection, nearness, you know, all this attraction, endearment, all of these things, then they are from the manifestation and from the reality of this love. So then he said, so this is a hub, and then he said, as-sahaba, loving of the sahaba. And the Sahaba here is the plural of Sahabi, Sahabi, and Sahabi, the definition of a Sahabi has been given by Ibn Hajar al-Askalani, rahimahullah. Does anybody know what this definition is? What is the definition of a Sahabi? How do we define someone who is a, a companion of Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? It has three, three elements to it, yeah. 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 That's right, yeah. So easy to remember, Ibn Hajar explained that there are actually three components which all must be together for someone to be considered a sahabi, a companion. And it is, he says, whoever met the Prophet, meaning met him directly, face to face, and with the vision of the eyes. And mu'minan bihi, whilst believing. In him, believing in him, wamata ala Islam, and when he died, he died upon Islam. Now there's an extra part which is added, fil asah, and this means that even if, for example, someone who believed in the messenger, then he disbelieved, then after realizing his error, he believed again, then he died upon that, then he likewise is within this definition as well in the most correct opinion. Right? So the definition therefore is whoever met the Prophet وسلم, whilst being a believer in him and he died upon he died upon Islam. So from this then we see what is the wisdom here of mentioning the Sahaba because the first thing he mentioned from the affairs of belief is loving of the Sahaba 
And so the significance and wisdom of this we will, it will be revealed inshallah ta'ala as we proceed through some of the statements of some of the scholars like Sheikh uh, Sahim Rahimullah and others. That the significance here is that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum are, are the ones who essentially conveyed the religion to us. The religion did not come to us except because the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were the ones who first and foremost they sacrificed from their wealth and from their, their, their families and their lives in order to believe in this message and act upon this message and to, to carry this message. They carried it to the east and west. And likewise from them, this message was transmitted to the tabi'een and the tabi'een. Tabi and so what this means is that the sahaba anhum are essentially the naqalah, those who transmitted and conveyed the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because the sahaba, the issue of the sahaba is something that relates to the integrity of the message as well. Because when we have those people who convey a message, their integrity <coughs> itself is connected to the integrity of the message. And so therefore, if there is any issue with those who carried the message, this means that there's an issue with the actual message itself. And so for that reason, in this poetry, Ibn Taymiyyah has mentioned the first foundation and the first important thing that he mentions in this, in this poetry is loving of the Sahaba as, a, a, as an essential foundation of our religion. And for that reason, we see that this meaning is comprised in the statement of many of the scholars who came afterwards from them. Imam al-Tahawi, rahimahullah, he said, that we love wa nuhibbu ashaba rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that we love the companions of allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and we do not exaggerate in the love of any one of them and nor do we free ourselves from any one of them and we hate whoever hates them we hate whoever hates them and who does not mention them with any goodness. He does not mention them with any goodness. And nor do we mention them except with goodness. Loving them, to love them, is deen, is from the religion. And it is iman, and it is ihsan. Deen, iman and ihsan, to love them. And hating them is kufr, is disbelief, and nifaq, and hypocrisy, and tughyan, and oppression, and transgression. Likewise, Ibn Qudama rahimahullah, in his book, Lum'atul Itiqad, he said, from the sunnah, wa mina sunnati, tawalli ashab, uh, tawalli ashabi Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa that from the sunnah is to love and to have allegiance. Tawalli is inward love, manifested, manifested in outward loyalty and allegiance. So to have allegiance and loyalty to the companions of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa and to love them, and to mention their good deeds, and to ask for Allah to have mercy upon them, and to seek forgiveness for them, and to refrain from mentioning any of their shortcomings or their faults, or whatever happened between them of disputes, and to believe that they are the most excellent, and to know that they are the ones who are the foremost, meaning that they are the first and foremost in Iman and Islam and good deeds and so on and so forth. And likewise, Imam al-Sabuni, rahimahullah, in his book, Aqidatul Salaf, 
he said that the that meaning the imams of the sunnah they hold and believe that one should withhold from mentioning anything that was that happened between the sahaba the disputes happened between the sahaba or between the companions of allah's messenger and to purify the tongues to make the tongues pure from mentioning anything that might comprise belittling them or, or, or ascribing a fault to them. And in other words, to keep one's tongues pure from speaking in a way that might even imply or hint that there is some fault or blame upon them. Now, this is how a, a believer is. And then he continues, or that it might imply any deficiency in them. And they believe and they hold that one should make ask one should ask Allah for mercy upon all of them and to show allegiance and loyalty to all of them and likewise they hold also to venerate and respect the wives of the messenger radiyallahu anhunna and likewise to make dua for them and to know their excellence and their virtue and to know that they are the mothers of the believers they are the mothers of the believers. And likewise, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he said, وَمِنْ أُصُولِ أَهْلِ سُنَةِ وَالْجَمَاءَةِ سَلَامَةُ قُلُوبِهِمْ وَأَلْسِنَتِهِمْ لِأَصْحَابِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ That from the usul, from the foundations of Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'a, is that their hearts, there is safety for the companions from the hearts of the, of the believers. Meaning that the hearts, in the hearts there is nothing there is nothing which has any kind of uh, you know, uh, hatred or harm towards the companions of Allah's Messenger. And likewise the tongues. In the tongues there is safety for the companions of Allah's Messenger. So the hearts and the tongues, there is nothing in a believer's heart or tongue which has anything of harm towards the companions of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So then he said, So hubbu sahabati he said, Kullihim. This one word, Kullihim, which means all of them. So he said, loving the Sahaba, then he said, Kullihim, all of them. This one word here, or two words here, Kullihim, this is a refutation of the Rafida. So this is a refutation of the Shia Rafida because he said, all of them. There's no distinction. Because the Rafida, they say, and the Shia, they say, they revile the companions first and foremost. And then they distinguish between some. So they say that maybe three, seven, ten, ten odd, they believe that they remain Muslims. And as for all of the rest of the companions, that they became apostates. Right? So here when he says, Kullihim, this means that we do not distinguish between any of the companions of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And there were thousands of the companions. There were, as we shall see, 120,000 companions who made Hajj with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and so this shows that there were a large, large number of companions, and we do not make a distinction between any one of them in terms of the obligation of showing love towards them, and you know asking for Allah's mercy and forgiveness upon them, and defending them, and so on and so forth. So here he said, "Kullihim, kullihim." There's no distinction, and as for the Rafida and the Shia as we shall see again later, that many of the issues that took place between the Sahaba, Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that these issues, that these disputes that took place between Ali and Muawiyah, and likewise the killing of Uthman radiallahu anhu, 
and the, the you know the, the the things that took place afterwards, the battles of you know Sifin and Jamal and so on and so forth, all of these issues that took place were as a result of the enemies of Islam who came, they entered and they came and they began to stir troubles between you know the the, the, the Sahaba. And so the Sahaba, when these troubles arose and happened, they had to make ijtihad. They had to, they had to follow the truth. And so each of them, they made ijtihad. They tried to fear Allah as much as they could. And they you know, made shura with others from the Sahaba. And then they decided on a particular course of action. And all of this was a tribulation for them and a trial for them. In fact, as one of the companions said, and I forget his uh, name at this point in time, but this was in relation to the... Uh, murder of Uthman radiallahu anhu and the, some of the tribulations which happened afterwards and he said and this is when, when Aisha radiallahu anha came out and I think it was a battle of the Jamal and one of the Sahaba he said that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has tested us with the mother of the believers with Aisha radiallahu anha to see whether it is him we should obey or whether it is Aisha that we should obey so meaning that the Sahaba recognized that this was a tribulation, it was a trial for them and a test for them. And all of these occurrings and happenings which, which happened, it was from the Qadr of Allah, and it, Allah, Allah decreed that there should be some of, the, some of these enemies and troublemongers and those who desired to see Islam to be harmed. And so they entered amongst the Muslimin and they caused these tribulations amongst the Sahaba. But the Sahaba themselves, after all this happened, they recognized that this was a tribulation. So the, the point here is that when we speak of the Sahaba, in, when we read these books, the books of Aqidah, and we see that in all of them there is mention of the Sahaba, anhum, then we can understand the importance and the significance because the very first thing that the people tried to do after the Messenger وسلم, passed away was to create turmoil amongst the Sahaba. To create tribulation amongst the Sahaba. Because if you can't discredit the message, then you have to now discredit those who are going to carry the message. And when you create turmoil and uh, controversy and tribulation amongst those who carry the message, then this, then this really is, is one of the ways that you can basically harm the truth and its people. Because you can't, because you can't harm it any other way. Tawheed is rooted in the hearts of the people. The sunnah of the messenger is manifest and clear. Right? There's no deviation. There's no, you know, the sahaba, the, the, the scholars from the sahaba are present. You can't, you can't attack the message itself because the message is in the hearts of the people. So what you do is you, 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 you create a turmoil and dissension amongst the, the people who carry that message. And so this is why when, 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 when we look at this whole discussion of the sahaba, it is from the greatest foundations of our religion because it has an impact upon the actual message that we, that we are upon, the Tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Iman, Sunnah, Ittiba, you know, Taqwa, all of these things are, are impacted. So then we look at the evidences in the Qur'an and likewise in the Sunnah for the excellence of the Sahaba and the virtue of the Sahaba. There are many verses in the Qur'an and from those famous ones, is the ayah in Surah At-Tawbah, Surah 9, verse 100, very easy to remember. In this ayah, Allah says, وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُحَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنْسَارِ وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ وَأَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي تَحْتَهَا الْأَنْحَارِ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ 
those who were the very first ones, meaning in Islam, those who were the foremost in, in Islam, min al-muhajireen wal-ansar, from the muhajireen, those who emigrated from Mecca to Medina, wal-ansar, and then those who were the helpers, meaning in Medina, who received the muhajireen. And in the Quran, whenever the muhajireen and ansar are mentioned, the muhajireen are always mentioned first. Always. About four or five times in the Quran, they always mention first because they have an excellence over everybody else. And then he says, وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ And whoever followed them in goodness. Because the muhajireen, those who first accepted Islam, then the ansar, then, those, then there were those who, who basically accepted Islam after the ansar and after the battles were taking place and after Makkah was you know, conquered until so the Sahaba who came afterwards. So obviously they are not of the same level of those who came first. And that's why in this ayah we see an order. The Muhajireen, the Ansar, and whoever followed them in Ihsan. And some of the scholars are of the view, some of the scholars have explained that here when it says, وَالَّذِينَ اتَّبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ And whoever followed them in Ihsan. And likewise there is another verse that comes later on, uh, which mentions that those who come after them, they seek forgiveness for their bro- brothers who came before. So the scholars explain that this meaning applies up until Yawmul Qiyamah. Up until Yawmul Qiyamah. Meaning that anyone who comes after them and follows them in Ihsan. Anyone who comes after. And likewise, anyone who comes after them and seeks, makes istighfar for them. And you know, so this applies up until Yawmul Qiyamah. He's included within the meaning of this, of the, of, of this ayah. And then Allah says, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا Allah is pleased with them, and they are pleased with Him. And then Allah mentions that He has prepared for them gardens, beneath which rivers flow, abiding therein forever. That indeed is the greatest success, or the mightiest success. So this verse is clearly uh, an explanation of the virtue of the Sahaba, and the fact that Allah is pleased with them all. Second ayah is in Surah At-Tawbah as well, Surah verse 88 and 89, in which Allah, Allah says, لَكِنِ الرَّسُولُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ جَاهَدُوا بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنفُسِهِمْ وَأُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الْخِيرَاتِ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ He says, however the messenger and those who believed with him, and they made jihad with him with their wealth and with their souls, they are the ones who have all types of goodness. And they are the ones who are successful. So look at this verse. And we have to understand in this verse that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they are in a unique situation. Because not only did they respond to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they responded to the call of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa so they believed in him, they believed in the Qur'an, they believed in Tawheed, and they believed in the Unseen, and all the things that they were informed of. And they established the pillars of the religion, and they established the Sunnah. But they were also involved in facing all of the harms and the tribulations that came to them, that came to the Messenger on account of calling to the message. And they themselves, they made jihad in the path of Allah. And they sacrificed of their wealth and of their from from their souls from you know from with their bodies. That is something that no one after them can ever ever do. There's no one that can reach that rank. There is no one 
who is able to, to, to basically play that type of role. Because they, which means that they are in a unique position and situation. And for, because of all of these reasons, because of what they did, and the suffering they went through, and the patience they had, and the sacrifices they made, then this in itself is an indication of the, of, of the virtue and the excellence and the rank of the companions of Allah's Messenger And then we see in other verses, Surah Al-Fatih, Surah, uh, surah 80, uh, 48, verse number 18, Allah says, That indeed Allah was pleased with the believers when they gave you the Pledge of Allegiance beneath the tree. Another indication that Allah is pleased with, with the believers, meaning the Sahaba. And also another example in Surah Ali Imran, Surah number 3, verse 110, when Allah says, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas. That you are the best nation, meaning here the companions, because the Quran, when it speaks of the believers, and it speaks of the ummah, and it speaks of these types of things, who is it speaking, who is it speaking to primarily? And originally, in its asal, it is the companions of Allah's Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So this virtue here is for the companions of Allah because they are the the sadr, they are the the, the core and the beginning, the, the 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 heart of this ummah. And so therefore, kuntum khaira ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'rufi wa tanhauna anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah. That you are the best nation brought out for mankind. You are the best nation brought out for mankind. You command the good. And you prohibit the evil, and you believe in Allah. Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3, verse 110. And there are other verses in the Quran. And so from the Sunnah, we have the hadith of Imran bin Hussein, radiyallahu anhu, who said that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, خير أمتي قرني ثم الذين يلونهم ثم الذين يلونهم That the best generation... Well, the best of my ummah is my generation, then those who follow them, then those who follow them. So he mentioned three generations. And then from Abu Burda, radiallahu anhu, who said that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa said, that we said to the Messenger of Allah, we just prayed Maghrib with you. Uh, we've prayed with you Maghrib. So they're speaking to the Messenger of Allah, that we prayed with you Maghrib. And... We then we we sat. We will sit up until we will pray Isha with you. So the messenger said to them, "Santum, or asabtum, that you you have done well, or that you have done what is what which is correct." Then the messenger of Allah, وسلم, he raised his head to the sky. He looked up to the sky, and then he said, and he said in this hadith that the stars. And Nujum, that the stars are the, if you like the, the, the word, he means that, that the stars are like the, the safeguard for the sky. The stars are the safeguard for the sky. So when the stars go, when the stars go, then the sky, it will come to the sky what it has been promised. And what he's referring to here is Yawmul Qiyamah, that when the stars Disappear, then they will come to the sky what has been promised to come to the sky. So after mentioning this, he then said, he then said, And I, I am the safeguard for my companions. I am the safeguard for my companions. 
فَإِذَا ذَحَبْتُ أَتَى أَصْحَابِي مَا يُعَدُونَ So then when I go, there will come to my sahaba that which has been promised for them. That which has been promised to them. And then he said, And my sahaba, my companions, they are the safeguard for my ummah. So when the companions go, then there will come to my ummah that which has been promised to it. This is a great and amazing, great and amazing hadith reported by Muslim in Sahih of Muslim. So look at how first of all the messenger he gave the example of the stars and how they are for the sky. The stars are like the safeguard for the sky. And when the stars go and disappear, then they will come to the sky what has been promised to it. And by giving this as an example, he then illustrated two things, or two historical things, two historical facts. So the first of them is that he said, that I am the safeguard for my companions. And when I go, they will come to my companions, that which they have been promised. And this refers to the affairs which befell the companions of Allah's Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and you know the, the tribulations that they went through and the trials that they went through. And this was the era and the period and the time in which we saw the emergence of the the Sabiya. The Sabiya were the first uh, group who basically began to you know plot and you know split and separate away from the from, from the Muslims secretly and try to cause harm and damage. And as a result of them, there was the murder of Uthman, radiallahu anhu. And as a result of that, there then started appearing many tribulations that, that we mentioned earlier on. The Khawarij then appeared, then the Rafida then appeared, the Shia appeared. And all of, the, all of these things happened whilst the Sahaba were alive in the first century of Islam. So we saw the emergence of the Sabiya, and then from them, or through them, the Khawarij, and the Rafida Shia, and then later the Qadariya, and then the Murji'a. So in any case, this was a, a period of tribulation. And then the Messenger said, my Sahaba are a safeguard for my Ummah. And when the Sahaba go, they will come to my Ummah what it has been promised. So whilst the Sahaba were still alive, even though there was deviation, even though there was some splitting, the truth was still strong and manifest because the Sahaba was still present. But then when the Sahaba passed away, which was you know, uh, a century after the, 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 you know, the roughly century after the Hijrah, that when they all passed away, then what happened when the Sahaba, when, when the Sahaba, when the last Sahabi passed away, what happened? There came the great evil innovations, the bidas of Ja'ad bin Dirham and Jaham bin Safwan. Uh, these are the people who brought many evil, vile, filthy innovations into the Ummah, which were more evil and vile than those that came before. And so the Jahmiyyah appeared, the Mu'tazila appeared, and in this time, the, the, the Rafida, the Shia, they laid the foundations for the Batiniyyah. Right? The Batiniyyah are those who basically claim that the Qur'an, first of all, they began to say the Qur'an, every single verse, has an apparent meaning and a hidden meaning. And then after a while, they began to say every single verse has seven hidden meanings. And then they began to say every single verse in the Qur'an has 70 hidden meanings. And then they began to say 700 you know, hidden meanings. <clears throat> and so these people were known as the Batiniyya. Those people who claim basically that there's an Islam that's outward for the common riffraff and ignorant people. 
and the a hidden Islam, a mystical hidden Islam, which is for the intelligent, smart people. Right? And so this is how they brought this uh, evil into the mud. But the foundations for that was actually from the Rafida and from the Shia in the, in the, in the second century of, of Islam. And from those people was Mukhtar al-Mukhtar bin Abi Obaid al-Thaqafi. Uh, you know, that, that's roughly his, his, his name. He was a false claimant to prophethood, I believe. So anyway, all of these tribulations began to appear when the, when the, Sahaba, when the Sahaba went. And this in itself is, is a sign to us and it shows to us the, the virtue and the excellence of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And then we see in another hadith, in fact we see in another hadith, which is actually very similar to the two that we already mentioned. The first hadith, best of generations, best of my ummah is my generation, then those who follow them, then those who follow them. The second hadith shows that when the messenger goes, they will come to the sahaba what they have been promised. When the sahaba go, they will come to the ummah what it has been promised. Listen to this third hadith. This is an amazing hadith as well. This hadith is reported by Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiallahu anhu, and he said that the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa said, and this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. He said, there will come to the people a time, there will come a time, when they will go out in a battle, they will go out in a battle, and they will say, is there any of the companions of Allah's messenger amongst you? So look and see, do we have a companion amongst us? And so they would say, yes. And then they would be given victory. They would be given victory. Okay, so just the mere presence of a sahabi, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give them victory. Just because of the presence of a sahabi. Then he says, after that period will come another time. There will be another time. And so a people, a group of people from the, uh, a group, a faction from the people will go out into battle. And they will say, or it will be said, Halfikum min sahibi ashabi Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So then it will be said that, is there amongst you a companion of a companion of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Meaning the tabi'een, tabi'een. And it would be said, yes. And so they would be granted victory. And then there would come another time for the people. Then there would be another third period of time. When a group of people would go out, or a faction of people would go out into battle. And it would be said, Halfikum min sahibin min sahibi ashabi Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That is there amongst you, a companion of a companion of a companion of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And they would say yes, and then they would be given victory. So from these ahadith, in fact there are, there are actually, actually many other ahadith as well, that you can look at the, the virtue of these people, of the Sahaba, and then obviously of course the Tabi'een and the Tabi Tabin who came after them, but primarily look, the hadith is a proof to show the actual virtue of the companions in that victory would be given just because of the presence of a companion of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then we have the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu <coughs> who said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said, لا تصبوا أصحابي 
فلو أن أحدكم أنفق مثل أحد ذهبا ما بلغ مد أحدهم ولا نصيفه Bukhari reported by Bukhari and Muslim. He said, Do not revile or abuse or speak ill of my companions. Because if one of you, and if one of you was to spend the likes of Mount Uhud in gold, and surely you've all seen Mount Uhud. If you haven't been there, at least you may have seen a picture of Mount Uhud. The huge size of Mount Uhud. So if you imagine the size of Mount Uhud in gold, if one of you was to spend that, it wouldn't even reach that amount, this amount of one of them. And it doesn't mean this amount of gold, it means this amount of anything. Meaning that if the Sahaba gave this amount of grain or corn or some seeds or whatever or dates, this amount, then if one of you was to spend the likes of Mount Uhud of gold, and in fact I don't even believe there's that much gold upon the, you know, what, what's available in any case, but if you were to spend that amount of gold, and you can imagine what that would equal in terms of monetary wealth, literally billions and billions and whatever, you know, if you were to spend all of that, it wouldn't even reach this, this amount of whatever they spent, whether it's dates, barley, whatever else. And this shows, this shows to you that when we speak of the Iman of the Sahaba, the Iman of the Sahaba wasn't with lots and lots of good deeds necessarily. It's not the amount of good deeds, but rather it is the, the Iman, it's the, what is behind the good deed, in the heart of Iman and Taqwa and the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is why a Sahabi like Abu Bakr can give a single date in charity, by way of example, which thousands of people couldn't give if they gave all of their wealth. They couldn't equal collectively the iman and the taqwa, the, 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 the actions of the heart, the, 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 the iman in the heart of the likes of what is in the heart of Abu Bakr. And so this shows, it's a lesson for us as well, it's a lesson first and foremost to show to us that, that the iman of the, uh, the, the companions of Allah's Messenger is something that, it, that is weighty. It is weighty. It is mighty and heavy. Why? Because it is something that originates in the hearts. And it, it's a lesson for us as well, that when we do good deeds, not only are we concerned with the outward manifestation of these good deeds, like we, for example, we pray, and we give charity, and we do many other things which Allah has commanded. And likewise, we keep away from what Allah has prohibited. That's one part of the deed. And often we forget of the, the internal aspects, the iman and the taqwa. What is it that's, that's driving that, that, that good deed? What is it that's driving? You know, what, what is the iman and the actions and the feelings of the heart that are driving a person to do whatever he's doing outwardly? And so not only, not, not only are we concerned with doing those things, but we're also concerned with nurturing and growing and developing the, what's, what's inside. And that's why you see that many of the scholars of Islam, like Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah and Shaykh Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, that they have whole works to do with the actions of the hearts. A'malul qulub. And you see that how they are concerned with, with dealing with the, with, with the heart. And in fact, if you look, in one of the books, I believe it might be Shifa'ul Alil of Ibn al-Qayyim, or it might be one of his other books, I can't recall right now, but he has a whole chapter 
in which he lists every single characteristic that Allah has given to the heart. Meaning, all of the states and conditions with which Allah has described the, the hearts of humans. And he's maybe listed about 30 or 40 different words which are used in the Qur'an to refer to the state and condition of the heart. You know, like uh, blind, you know, rust upon them. And so many different things that, that, that is mentioned, both positive and negative. Both positive and negative. So this shows that we have in our hearts an organ, an organ whose reality we don't really truly fathom. We don't understand truly the significance of this, of this morsel of flesh that is in our, you know, in our interiors. To such a degree that it can be the case that one man, like Abu Bakr for example, can give a seed or a date in charity, and you could put thousands and thousands of people on the other side, giving all of their wealth, you know, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't come close to equaling what is with Abu Bakr of, of Iman and Taqwa, behind the giving of that particular, particular day. So the point being here, Ya Ikhwan, is that when we are looking at the virtues and the excellences of the Sahaba, as we see in these ayat, and we see their sacrifice and their iman and whatever else they did. And likewise, these hadith that we are reading from the messenger that explain the virtue and excellence of the sahaba, we have to understand that it's not just the outward deeds. It's, it's what, what is behind those outward deeds you know, that, that made the sahaba so, 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 so great in their excellence. And that at the same time is a lesson for us that we pay attention to, the, to these issues of ikhlas, of sincerity, of, of love of Allah, and fear of Allah, and hope in Allah, and tawakkal upon Allah, and all of those states and conditions of, of, of the heart that we see uh, from the life of, 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 of the heart. And it's something that we, we must attend to and uh, turn to. So after this, we uh, move to a final issue for today's lesson, inshallah ta'ala, which is that now that we've looked at the virtue, the fadl, an excellence of the Sahaba, we also look at the issue of the Adalah, the Adalah of the Sahaba. Adalah means their uprightness and trustworthiness. Adalah means their trustworthiness. And Al-Khatib, Al-Baghdadi, so in fact before we continue, see, when we look at the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, we look at them from many different angles. We look at them because we seek, not only do we look at them from in terms of their virtue and excellence, so we read about them and their excellence and their virtues and their qualities and their sacrifices, and we, we learn from that. This is one aspect of looking at the Sahaba, the Fada'il, Fada'il of the Sahaba. Another aspect is that we're looking at their Adalah, their trustworthiness and their uprightness. And the fact that they are to be trusted in whatever they convey of the religion, because they are honest and truthful by judgment and testimony of Allah, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger. That's the second element and aspect, right? Because this now is connected to the transmission of the religion and how it reaches us. And then there are other aspects as well, which Ahlu Sunnah, we who follow the way of the Salaf, that they are distinguished from other people besides them. That when we look at the Sahab, we also look from the angle of their faham, their understanding of the texts. So we, so we study the Sahaba because we want to know how did they understand this verse? And how did they understand this hadith? 
And this is something that distinguishes the people of the truth from all of the people of the falsehood. Because you will see some of those people of falsehood, like take for example Jamaat al-Tablih, for example, what they, what they do is they will look just at the virtues of the Sahaba. <coughs> this Sahabi <coughs> was kind, this Sahabi was generous, this Sahabi did such and such, this Sahabi used to read the Qur'an, this, all of this is to do with the Fada'il. But this is not sufficient for a person to be safe in his religion, because <coughs> what makes a person safe in his religion is that he seeks the faham, the understanding of the Sahaba, of the text, of the Qur'an, of the Sunnah, of the belief, of Iman. And so these people, you see, they don't look for the faham of the Sahaba. To them, the Sahaba are just stories that we read. The bravery of this Sahabi, the courage of this Sahabi, the, the, the generosity, how generous was this Sahabi. This is what they look at. And as a result, when they neglect the issue of the faham of the Sahaba, then they start going astray in issues of religion, in issues of belief, in issues of methodology, in issues to do with respect to how to, how to do da'wah. So for us, when we look at the Sahaba, our discussion of them is comprehensive from every angle. So we look at them from the angle of their fada'il, because we want to be like them, we want to emulate them and be like them and have their qualities. We look at them from the angle of their adala, their trustworthiness, their truthfulness, their honesty, because it relates to the transmission of the religion and the integrity of the religion. We look at them from the angle of their faham, which is from the most important of the affairs, their understanding. How did they make tafsir of this ayah? How did they explain this issue of belief? How did they deal in this specific situation? How did they understand the text and apply in that particular situation? All of these things are to do with the faham, the understanding of the sahaba, radiyallahu anhum. And this is what distinguishes people of the sunnah from all of the groups who are astray. Even in our times, the groups who are astray, from the ikhwanul muslimin, and the jama'atul tablih, and the hizbut tahrin, all those people. Because they do not fundamentally turn to the sahaba and say, that we want to understand Islam like the Sahaba understood from the texts. Because this is not what they, what, what they, what they pursue. They pursue something else. That our, our leader, like for example, An-Nabahani, this is what was his opinion and this is what we are following. Right? Even if he's upon batil and falsehood in his belief and his methodology. And they say, Hassan al-Banna, this is what he thought, that this is how he thought that the ummah should be you know, rectified. Even if everything he's outlining in his books is opposed to what the Sahaba understood from the from the, the text of the book and the Sunnah. And so on and so forth to all the other people that we see present in our time. So the faham of the Sahaba is something that is, is another aspect that we you know that we that we are concerned with. So the point being here that we were moving on to the issue of the adala of the Sahaba, so we're just making this important point at this stage to bear in mind that we look at the Sahaba from their adala, from their faham, from their fada'il from all these things, and we don't neglect one over the other, or exaggerate one to the, at the expense of another one, because we understand the deen comprehensively. So as for the adala, the integrity of the Sahaba, عنهم, then Al-Khatib Al-Baghdadi, rahimahullah, in his book Al-Kifaya, he said, I'll summarize what he's basically saying, because it's a long, long passage. What he's basically saying is, that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger of Allah did not mention anything about the Sahaba. So for example, the verses that we read, and the ahadith that we mentioned, 
let's say there was nothing of that mentioned at all. Let's say we didn't have any of that in the Quran or in, you know, in, from the statements of the Messenger. So he says that if there had been nothing from Allah, the mighty and majestic, or his Messenger, about the Sahaba, anything of what has been mentioned, then the reality of the matter, the fact of reality, the fact that what they did of hijrah, meaning that whatever facts have come to us historically, the fact that they made hijrah, the fact that they made jihad, the fact that they aided the deen of Allah, and they sacrificed from their wealth and from their persons, and they even fought their fathers and their sons, meaning those who didn't accept Islam, and they fought against their own fathers and the sons in the various battles for the truth, and that they were sincere for the deen of Allah, and their strength of iman, and their certainty, then all of these things would have given us absolute certainty about the adala of the Sahaba, about the integrity of the Sahaba, that all of these things, as a matter of fact, would have established the integrity of the Sahaba for us, even if there had come nothing in the Sharia texts. Right? This is Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi. And then he says, so this would have given us certainty about their integrity and believing that they are the most virtuous of all of the, the ones who have been spoken well of. And, you know, so to the end of what he said. Likewise, Ibn al-Salah, Ibn al-Salah, he said in his book, Ulum al-Hadith, he said that all of the Sahaba have one specific, unique, special quality. <coughs> the Sahaba have a specific, unique quality, meaning as a whole, which is, which is, he says, وَهِيَ أَنَّهُ لَا يُسْأَلُ عَنْ عَدَالَةِ أَحَدٍ مِّنْهُمْ Which is, so what is it that the Sahaba are unique that no one else has? It is that the adala, the integrity of any one of them is not questioned. Meaning that this is out of bounds. But that the integrity of any of the Sahaba is something that cannot be questioned. And this is something that is unique only to the Sahaba in this in this ummah. And he says, rather this is an established affair for them, absolutely. Because they, their integrity has been established by the texts of the book, by the speech of Allah, and by the book, by, and by the sunnah, and by ijma', by consensus of the ummah. And likewise, Al-Hafidh Al-Iraqi, he said in his book, Sharh Al-Fiyah, he said, indeed all of the ummah, is united, <coughs> is united about the integrity of those who never got involved in any of the fitna, meaning amongst the companions. Because the companions here in this passage, there are those who got involved in the fitna, and there are those who didn't get involved in the fitna. So he's saying here that the whole of the ummah is united about the integrity of whoever did not become involved in the fitna, in the tribulation. Or, and as for those who got involved in the fitna, meaning from the time of the killing, the murder of Uthman, radiallahu anhu, then he says that all of them are united, that they too, their integrity is also established. And this is due to having a good opinion of them. And, Carrying this upon the fact that they actually made ijtihad in what they were doing. You understand? So this actually is an important statement because 
Because as I said to you before, those who try to undermine the Sahaba, they start with the issues that happened between them. And as we said that these were tribulations brought from people that came from outside. And so those Sahaba were put to trial by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those, uh, you know, those people of tribulation and trial, those evil people who brought these tribulations, they were just a means by which, to, you know, by which the Sahaba were tested. And so they made ijtihad, and none of that had an impact upon their integrity. Right? And that's why in Al-Hafidh al-Iraqi, he makes the point here, and he makes it from the angle of distinguishing those who fell into the fitna and those who didn't fall into the fitna. To show us that we make no distinction. That all of the Sahaba, the integrity is established, whether they were involved in the fitna or not, all the tribulations that took place, and those who were withheld and, and, and didn't get involved in the fitna. Right? The integrity of all of them is established, except that we say that those who fell into the fitna, they made ijtihad, and their adala, their, their integrity is established and not to be questioned. And likewise, Ibn Hibban, in his muqaddimah, in his sahih, Ibn Hibban, he said, this is because uh, the, 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 all of the sahaba, they are sadah, qadah, udul. They are chiefs, and they are leaders, and they are people of integrity. They are chiefs, they are leaders, and they are people of integrity. And likewise, Imam al-Darmi, rahimahullah, he said in his book, Al-Raddu ala al-Jahmiyyah, he said, فَهُمْ عُدُولٌ they are, they are people of integrity, trustworthy, upright, and they are to be trusted in. They are to be trusted in from the time of the Messenger ﷺ. And whoever disparages them, he is the one who is disparaged. He himself is the one who is disparaged. So this then establishes for us the uh, adala, the integrity of the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And... Inshallah ta'ala we'll suffice with this amount for today's lesson and then inshallah ta'ala we'll continue with the explanation of Sheikh Salih al-Sahimi in the next lesson inshallah ta'ala where the Sheikh he elaborates upon some of the similar issues and so we'll go through that inshallah for some further added benefit so uh, we'll conclude our lesson here if there are any questions or if there isn't any questions we can we can close and round off there inshallah ta'ala